Sunday. It's a great day to be, be together and worship together. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, uh, really reading three or four verses, uh, beginning in verse 19. And I'm going to start uh, just a new two-week series. I'm going to be speaking this Sunday and then next Sunday. And then you're going to get the double barrel from uh, Bruce the Donnelly, who's going to be up in a couple weeks. And we've got a great summer lined up. I know uh, it's it's different summertime because we're all having vacation and uh, traveling and camping. And but when you can get here, get in and be encouraged. And looking forward uh, after after we have Bruce in a couple weeks, we're looking forward to having Steve Oliver. Cameron's dad will be with us, I believe, on Father's Day, uh, which will be a great day. Looking forward to that. Maybe a couple Sundays if we can chorus him uh, into being here, as as well as he'll be visiting other churches around other regions, beyond churches around Montana. Uh, Hey, I just want to underline one thing, uh, two things that Bruce mentioned. One is the the concert with uh, this Wednesday with Kingdom Music. We have these cards. Do we have more cards, Richard, out there? We have cards and postcards there. Do we have more? You don't have to bring them. Do we have more of these? Yeah, yeah. If uh, rap music's your thing, then here's the place to be Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, that's right. He's going to, this guy has a great music, great testimony. He's going to be sharing what God's done, uh, not only through his music, but through testimony. It's, it's not just a youth event. Uh, we're going to raise the, the roof here uh, Wednesday. So really excited. This outreach is going to reach uh, people in Missoula and inspire and encourage people. Right after the meeting, we get to celebrate in having lunch together. Uh, I, I know it's uh, not all the time. I, wish, I actually wish we did it more where we had meals together as a church family. Uh, but we're going to be having a spaghetti dinner uh, to highlight a really important ministry we do out at DeSmet School. And actually, if you don't know about DeSmet, it's actually, uh, you're probably not alone. It's this very small school out near the airport, uh, probably the as far as funding goes, the poorest school in our area. It sits right outside of the Missoula School District. And I guess now probably, I was going to say five years ago, but it's probably 10 uh, because time flies when you're having fun. Uh, the principal of that school, he's, he's in Billings now, a guy named Joe Halligan, I think his wife's name was Tanya, they visited our church, and uh, I, in meeting him, I said, well, what do you do? He said, I'm the principal of DeSmet, and me being a youth pastor uh, back in the day, and uh, love campus ministry, love going to the high schools and junior highs, because one reason, I, I believe the high schools and Junior highs in our nation are one of the greatest mission fields in the world, really is. We think of the 1040 window and we think of going overseas, but we have schools in America that, that as far as our nation is concerned, is, is probably our greatest mission field as a nation. We get a, uh, that's another message, it's going to get excited there. But I asked him, I said, if you ever need any help, uh, let us know, and he said, man, I need all, he was a believer and a principal there, but he said, I need all the help I can get. And that began a relationship for us about a decade ago where we've been uh, 
Jim was tutoring, or not just tutoring, teaching algebra. I don't even know if that's legal. They said, we need algebra teachers. We need clothing. We need, we need supplies. We help run the end of the school year carnival. Uh, Merle and, and Cameron are, are going to share out there while we eat. So you get to have lunch. Uh, we receive uh, just gifts that go towards our dismet ministry and helping kids go to camp. But it's one of my favorite, definitely favorite outreaches because we're not just called to go to church. We're called to be the church going. And so we love uh, what happens at Dismet. A load of those students come Wednesday night. They're, they're tying into the, not only the strength team kids camp, but they're a part of what's happening here with our youth ministry on, on Wednesdays. So uh, amazing stuff. Uh, so lunch will be in a minute. As I preach, you'll be smelling the lunch. You'll be ready. And when you can't take it anymore, just wave at me and I'll release you to go eat. Okay, Ephesians 2, verse, I want to back up. Avery, if you can hold off, just put up the title slide if you have it. I want to hold off on the scripture slide until we get to verse 19. For two weeks, I want to talk to you about the art of neighboring. The art of neighboring and what it means to be a neighbor. Uh, Today, we're going to look at, uh, the big idea of today is uh, God's, Church is a big family, and in being a family, we learn how to be neighbors. That's the big idea for today. Next week, we're going to look at Luke 10, where an expert of the law came to Jesus and said, "Uh, Master, how do I sum up the commandments? And Jesus broke it down, love God and love, love your neighbor. And he asked him, well, who is my neighbor? Basically, man, I'm so excited about next week. Um, basically, he's asking for the minimum requirements. Well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes on. He says, Jesus goes, well, that reminds me of a story, the Good Samaritan. And he tells this story, and he says, if you're going to love your neighbor, you need to meet your neighbor's needs in the same power, speed, and with ability and joy that you meet your own needs. That's loving your neighbor. Meeting their needs with the same power, ability, speed, and joy that you would meet your own needs. That, that's heavy. That's really loving your neighbor. That'll be next week and some practicals. But today I want to look at how the family of God helps, helps us become great neighbors. It helps us be a family. If you're in Ephesians, say, there. Ephesians 2.11. I'm going to read uh, the first these first maybe uh, eight verses, and then we're going to really hone in on verses 19 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, uh, you Gentiles, he's speaking to a a Gentile church, there are these uh, people in Ephesus, uh, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who's glad for that today? Man, I was far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, right? So who's God's chosen people? Those who are in Christ. It's what it's saying, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you for you uh, who were far off and peace to those who were near, both Jew and Gentile, were actually enemies. He said, I'm preaching to both. For through him, both have access in one spirit to the Father. Wow, amazing stuff. To these, he calls them, you Gentile guys. I'm writing to you this great news that, hey, anyone in Christ is equally clean and accepted. Anyone out of Christ is, is unclean. The key is to be in Christ, found in Christ through his uh, death and resurrection, right? It's what we celebrated communion why we celebrated communion, to remember that. Amen? So verse 19 to 22 is what we're going to just break down and, and talk about the art of neighboring. The scriptures are on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but it says, so then, you are no longer, so now you Gentiles are no longer strange, strangers or foreigners or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also being built, you are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amazing stuff, right? We're being built together into this new temple. And today I want to look at uh, how God rescues us, how he reshapes us, and how he resides in us. Those three things uh, are, are how the church came about and how it came to be, and it, it'll help us, I believe, have a picture of how we become good neighbors, the art of neighboring. Sound good? All right. Uh, if I were to ask you, or if we were to go into Missoula and uh, ask people, what is the church? What what kind of picture would they paint or, or what would we be looking for? If you moved to a new town, for example, popped into a new place, had to move because of work, uh, and it, you found a job, you found housing, you'd also go looking for a church. And there may be things that uh, would compel you or, or drive you to find your church or things that uh, would help you find it. I, I think, sadly, in America especially, church has become an event, Church has become a place, right? It's become a building on a corner. And uh, there are church, we meet in a building, right? But church is not a building. And church is not an event. It's a people. It's a people called by God. The, the, the Greek is ecclesia, the called out ones, called to assemble. Church is a group of people who are called to assemble together and worship together. Can I hear a great big amen? And in the Bible, there's, there's both uh, local church and universal church. Universal church would be the, the church around the world. And some people uh, believe in God and they believe in Jesus and they believe in the church, but they're not part of a local assembly. They say, well, I don't really need that because I'm just, because of what Jesus did, I'm part of the church, Right? 
And we believe in the, the universal church around the globe. There's a lot of churches around the globe. And Jesus spoke about it when he talked to Peter and he said, uh, Peter, uh, I'm going to build my church. Right? He said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about a church that Peter would go and start on the corner. He was talking about the big picture universal church. But there's also in the Bible a thing, it doesn't say local church, but it either insinuates, implies, especially in Matthew 18, where the Bible says, if your brother offends you, go to the elders of the church. Now, is that universal? Do you find like the elders of the world? I'm going to the elders on this one, <laughs> right? My brother has offended me. No, that's your local assembly where you worship. And so when Paul wrote letters to the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth and the, to Galatia, he was writing to local churches that had local government, had local leaders, that were, that were a light in those places. They were cities in the city, a city on a hill. Are you with me? In Revelation, there's these churches to the church in here and the church there. Jesus is writing to churches. He loves the church. And so there's church local, there's church universal. I think in our nation, that just to give you an idea of kind of juxtaposition, there's, I think, four wrong ways we can view the church. The first is, is almost like a, a movie theater. This is slide number two. And this is where, where we believe uh, church entertains us. Right? We come and we're entertained. It's good. We, we kind of rate the church based on how great the music was and how they did. I'll never forget visiting a church about a year and a half ago. Uh, worship started, and man, the fog machines hit. I mean, it's kind of maybe at a concert you have that, but um, I mean, it was very entertaining. It was lights and sound and, and fog and great communication, and we can, if we're not careful, view the church as, man, the church is something that's supposed to entertain me. And that's a place where no one talks. They come in, they shuffle in at a certain time, sit in seats or pews, stare at the back of someone's head for an hour and a half. Do you think when Jesus built the church, he thought, I'm going to have this amazing thing called the church. People are going to come sit down in rows, and they're going to stare at the back of someone's head. this is fun. There's a guy up there yelling at me, but I'm really looking at the back of this guy's head. And he didn't shower. No. Uh, you know, uh, we may view church as the next one, like a, a gas station or a filling station. And the idea is there is you come to church to get filled. Right? It's convenient. There's one in each corner. You can go in, go out, boom. Man, it's kind of like... Now, be honest with me. Um, how, many, how many of you live most of your life where your gas tank is less than like quarter tank? <laughs> I mean, literal, literal gas tank, not physically. Be quiet over there. Um, okay. You know, it's kind of like, you, like you, you run on faith, you know, run on fumes. My friend Jason Harris, a pastor in Helena, he had a car called the Jesus Mobile. In college, it literally ran on faith. We'd, we'd put gas in it, probably five bucks, and pray for the car. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. We're running on faith. 
Some people live their life like a filling station. They, they putter and sputter through. Boy, I hope I make it. I'm going to make it to Sunday, Wednesday. You know, shoot, it's tough by Monday for some of you. And then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday. By Friday, you're like watching the needle like, I hope I can make it. You're looking forward to all the downhill. Take off the gas, you know, coast in. You get into the parking lot. Church can be like that. Like a filling station, right? What about, especially, I think, in our nation, because so much consumer kind of idea. We have Christian TV. We have Christian books. We have, we have all the online preaching and and we have your best life now. How do you, how do you, uh, you can go out and find all kinds of things to help fill you, right? Not altogether wrong, right? I, I want to come to church and be filled. I sure don't want to leave empty. Uh, but what, what about the next, what about a, a retailer, or a big box store? Like a church could be like Walmart. Glory. For some of you, Target, Okay. Um, the big store that has, some, that has something for everyone. And if I'm honest, if, if I were to ever, I won't. Good Lord willing and the crick don't rise. If I were ever to have to move to another town and like look for a church, I might look online and listen to some messages. But being a dad and a husband and a, having five kids, I might look and see what the church has to offer. Do you have a good youth program? Do you have a good kids ministry? What does this church have to offer me that can help me? Through? And, and you can, so this is, so there, there's um, not only fill me, there's also feed me. People will look for a church based on how it can feed their needs and fe- even heartfelt needs. What does the church have? Like a great big, big box store. And actually most churches in our nation are smaller churches. We we glean more so from the big churches because they have the most um, notoriety or attention or, or known communicators. And so these are t- churches that uh, people are fed well from at times, right? But we, we may, if we're not careful, look at churches based on how they could feed us. The last, uh, and then we'll get to... Uh, the kind of church we want to build. The last is like church like a drugstore. Right? A church where, man, I go there because I'm messed up. <laughs> I need to be fixed. I need to get my fix. I, I, I think in our nation, people are addicted to feeling good. <coughs> As I say that, I cough. We need our spiritual fix. We need, to, we need to be healed each week, or we need, to, we need to get better. Now, each of these, even the entertain me, uh, entertain me, feed me, fix me, uh, fill me, each have elements that are actually maybe not bad. Entertain might sound funny, but uh, when we come and meet with God, meet with God's people, it should be amazing. Like the book of Mark, where it's the amazing gospel. Mark uses this word, they were amazed at what he did, and they were wowed at what he did, and they couldn't believe at what Jesus did. And, and it, not that we're here to entertain, but people should come in together as a church and be, wow, come on, somebody, God's in the house. Not on, based on our talent, but based on how great he is. 
We do want to be filled, and we do want to be fed, and we do want to get fixed, but did you notice the key word in each of those was me? You know, I, me, myself, mine, the most commonly used group of words in the English language. Right? So we don't want a self-centered church. We want a Christ-centered church. And these, this verse in uh, Ephesians, I think, shows us we want to get away from a consumerism kind of mentality and be a church that loves God but loves its, our neighbors. And to do that, we have to not come in and run in and run out like a movie theater. Right? I'll never forget my dad. I'm not sure why, but he and I, we'd go to a movie. He loved going to movies. And uh, in fact, I would drive all the way home from here to Eureka, Montana, three hours after finishing finals in college, go all the way home, just get in, so glad to be home. And he's like, come on, we're going to the movies back in Whitefish. Like, gosh, dad, I'm glad to see you, but I just got here and I just came from there. I don't want to go back. He'd love going to movies, but the minute it was over and the preview started, for some reason, he loved to run out. You know the little side sneaky door down at the bottom? I don't know why. We would like run out like he's a secret agent or something. <laughs> I just thought of that, and I think some of it, churches are that way in our nation. People come in, and people go, maybe we preach too long. You're like, hey, that was good, but I'm out. <laughs> Hey, I told you to be quiet once already. <coughs> um, I'm joking, by the way. It's my good buddy, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Robin said, not till 10, 20, 11, 25, bro, so we got time. I have time. Um, so think about it. When we come, is it for the show? Is it to be fixed? Is it to be fed? Are we here for one another's success? Three things God rescues, he reshapes, and he resides. Right out of Ephesians, this uh, first God, number one, how are we going to be a church that becomes a good neighbor? We need to know we're rescued. God reaches out and places us in his family. Church is the family of God. Look at this verse. So now you are Gentiles, no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's family, your holy people, your members of this family. You're members of something. You're rescued. You're not a, a foreigner, see, or an alien. Big debate in our nation, right? Even if you're in a nation legally, even if you're a legal alien, what does that sound like? Exclusive, exclusiveness. You're not, you're not an alien anymore. You're not a stranger. You're part of God's family. You're now equal in Christ. That's such great news for us today. Jews and Gentiles, uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we looked at Galatians and when the circumcision group's arguing with the uncircumcision group and Paul had to confront Peter and say, no, you're not living in line with the gospel. Don't drag these back guys back into law. Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because they were unclean. He's saying, no, we're all one family now. We're all one. We're all, we're all part. We're all part of this great big family of God. It's great news today. He rescues us. He grabs every single person. Anyone on the face of the earth can be rescued by God, and he places you in his family. What a foundation for neighboring. If you've been rescued, if you've been saved, 
Man, you want to share it with others. We want to go to the Dismets of the world and the Missoulas of the world and the Stevensville of the world because we've been rescued by God. It's the only response. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 should be on the screen. It really underscores this. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you're all one in Christ. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, I need to maybe explain something. It doesn't mean that there's no men and women, right? It's not a new unisex thing. This, is, this isn't a governmental or a sexual text. It's a redemptive text. It's saying, in Christ, you're all equal now. It's speaking of a redemptive nature of, man, don't put down women and don't put down kids and don't put down minorities. You're all the same now, right? Of course there's men and women. There wouldn't be kids anymore, right? They, later in the Bible, they wouldn't say uh, women, uh, older women, uh, help the younger women, right? Or young men, be respectful to those older men. There's still, there's still that, right? Just in case you wondered, But what it's saying is, man, we're all the same. There's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free. If you're in Christ, you're free. You've been rescued. He evened the playing field. Come on, guys. He rescued us. And it helps us be great neighbors. It shows us what the church of God is made up of. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 also. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. You know how you can tell the value of something? Number one, by what someone would pay for it, right? So what is your house worth? What someone will pay for it? Exactly. I can tell you exactly what it's worth, what someone will pay for it. The second way you know of the value of something is who it belongs to. Right? If we were to raffle off my shoes today to help raise money for Dismat, <laughs> who laughed? <laughs> Not funny. You'd be like, cool, those came from Ross Dress for Less. Um, it's Dismat, I'll give you 30 bucks. <laughs> right? They're just, they're just plain old Josh's shoes from Ross. But if I had a pair of Steph Curry's shoes, right? If I had a pair of Larry Bird's shoes, <laughs> okay, Michael Jordan, sorry, right? All of a sudden you'd go, wow, those were not, not, only, not only are they Jordans, those were Michael Jordan's shoes. You would, you would be like, give me some of those. What you would pay a lot more, why? Based on who they belong to. We're God's possession. Think of what, think of first what he paid for us. Think of what he paid for us and think of we belong to him. Two amazing signs that remind us when we're rescued, we belong to God and we're part of his family. I think, I dare say that's something he would be extremely passionate about. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive the mercy of God. 
Number one, God rescues us and places us in his family. Number two, we need to read the verse. Uh, God reshapes us. Not only does he rescue, he reshapes. Look at this. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone in Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. Look at that. Becoming the temple of the Lord. Old Testament, God met in a very special place called the temple where he came down. Now he's shaping his people, the church, into the temple. This might seem nitpicky, but I'm, I, I, I'm catching myself more and more often if I'm coming down here to this facility. Uh, I don't say, hey, meet me at the church. I walk into this room and I don't call it the sanctuary. Do you know Why? It's a building. And the Bible says the Holy God doesn't live in temples or buildings made by human hands. He lives in the heart. Peter actually calls us living stones. You know what? We're living stones. We're, we're the temple of God. He lives in here. Do we respect this place? Yes. Do we love this place? Yes. Is it a asset and a resource and a blessing that God gave us this nice place, way nicer than places people worship in all over the world. There's actually a regions beyond church that worships under a great big tree. Amazing sanctuary, auditorium. But we're the, we're the temple. We are literally, so I say, meet me at the church building, right? Meet me in the auditorium, because I, I think it, it denotes something that God doesn't intend. He wants us to be, the, we are the temple of God, the dwelling place. And if you have trouble with that, take it up with him or Paul. Paul's saying it, becoming a holy, are you still with me today? So he, he not only rescues us to God's family, he reshapes us and builds us together in Christ. And what's so mind-blowing is that he picked you to build you into the temple. Wow. It blows my mind that God chose me to build me as a living stone into the temple of God. The temple in the Old Testament, Solomon, when he built the temple, it's like 1 Kings 6. Amazing story. Uh, they took seven years to build Solomon's temple. He had some like over 20,000 uh, I'm going to mess this up, stone hewers, cutters. Hewers, is that the right word? He had thousands and thousands of, of workers who would cut the stone. And then he had thousands and thousands of workers who would shape the stone. And it says in that chapter, uh, you could hear no chisel or ha hammer at the site of the temple. Because they found these stones, it's like Jebediah's quarry is where they believed a lot of the stones came for the temples through the years and then the, the wailing wall and these amazing places in Jerusalem. But they would actually cut the stone, choose it, cut it, carve it, and then take it to where the temple site and build this amazing temple where God could dwell. What a picture. This is actually the, the juxtaposition. Paul's saying, man, there's this amazing temple that we see all through the Old Testament where God came to dwell. So special. Can I hear an amen? But now, 
Uh, he dwells in the human heart. He came and, and was nailed to a cross and died and rose again so he can build something totally new, something powerful. He actually reshapes you and fits you into that wall. Wow, I'm part of God's plan. I'm part of his family. I'm, we're fit together. And isn't it sad and hard when someone says, man, I'm not a part of that family. And I know through all through church life, we fight the good fight and, and, and have to find a church family to fit with because we're all a part of the body of Christ. But God does place members into a family. And he saw fit to shape you out and cut you out and even your rough edges, someone say amen. Even those things he had to get the chisel out and man, I, I want you to fit right here. Solomon's temple, they actually got all the bricks and cut them and fit them and shaped them. And when they took, it's like a Lego set. They came to the site and were able to put it together. And now God says, you are my living stones. I'm shaping into a new temple. Something, that's something the world would see and go, wow. How can every single person in here, so different, Chris included. <laughs> right? He fits us together. Come on, so that's a miracle, right? It's crazy that we all fit together in this thing called church. You could go on a mission trip like Kellen did to Africa or <coughs> others that are going to be going this year. You can go halfway around the world and worship with someone and you realize, man, I'm their brother and sister in Christ. God has reshaped me to fit into this thing and I have a place. I belong. He reshapes me. Ephesians 4, 16, slide 11. Uh, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Do you see that? And he fits me together with, with people maybe not like me. That's why when he said Jew and Gentiles, you guys were aliens, you've been brought in. But they're just as equal, just as important, just as powerful in the divine economy of God. It's why we must be so careful to uh, down talk any, any believer, any brother or sister in Christ, because God said, no, I've put you together. <clears throat> as dysfunctional as you think your family may be, right, or your spiritual family may be, God put us together. Can someone say Amen. So he rescues, he reshapes, and finally, uh, let's read this, he resides. Did you see that? Through him, you Gentiles, we're also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. He doesn't live in the white church around the corner because it's a building. He lives in us, and that's great news it's even better news than our old religious mindset of, man, I'm coming into the sanctuary. No, we are the sanctuary of God. It's why God challenged us. He said, Your don't you know your body's a temple? Not just a sanctuary, it's the temple of God. God lives in you. Treat it well. If you drive through McDonald's, don't supersize it. <laughs> God lives in you. 
God lives with his family. And guys, that's the kind of church we want to be where, where not only God has rescued us, and not only God has reshapen us, but God's presence right smack dab in the middle of everything we do because we believe his presence is here. Right? See, in the Old Testament, the, the, Holy, the Spirit actually only filled up certain people, special people. You know that? Like there were prophets, there were kings, there was the go anoint David to be king. There were judges, guys like Samson. <laughs> You're like, uh, not like that. Uh, <laughs> no. Samson and Gideon and, and people like Samuel. Samuel's brought to the temple and he hears the voice of God. It says in those days there was, the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many dreams or visions. God's presence wasn't just around. But God chose this kid Samuel. He said, Eli, is that you? No, it's God. Call out to God. And he said, God, here, I'm here. And God chose Samuel to be what? A prophet. And so all through the Old Testament, right, there were select people that God would anoint and pour his spirit out on so they could lead, special people. That's why the prophets say in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters even are going to prophesy. Young men are, are going to have visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. Say sleep more. Right? Isn't that a, unreal? Young vision to take forward old dreams in the church that's filled with the Spirit. Every, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. We're, we're, you're going to be a Spirit-filled church, a Spirit-filled missional community where everyone has access now to the Spirit of God. You're being made as a temple, and God's going to dwell there. He's going to reside. The presence of God's going to reside in you. Come on. So we don't come just to church to be entertained or to be filled or to be fed or to be fixed. We come because we're walking temples of God. And when we come together as a church, it's powerful. And that will help us be amazing neighbors to each other and amazing neighbors to the city if we learn what the church really is. A people. Listen, a people who are rescued, reshaped, you know, chiseled out and then filled by God, a place where God resides. I want to be that kind of church. Can someone say amen? Where God is with us. Acts 20, 28. I, I'm going to just turn. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read it. It says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock of God in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for this church, which he obtained in his own blood. Let's pay careful attention to this flock that God has given us. He's made us overseers, and he purchased it with his own blood. Can we be the living temple this week, full of faith and power and expectation? And next week, we're going to look at real practically, who is my neighbor? How do we do it? And the challenge Jesus gave this teacher of the law who was trying to trap Jesus, but actually Jesus trapped him, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance today uh, to remember the simple, simple message about the church and what it means to be <coughs> rescued and reshaped and, and filled, God, by your presence. And I ask today that as we 
uh, celebrate and hear about uh, DeSmet and hear about all you're doing over there, uh, we can be a family together. I know we're going to be hearing information, but help us break bread together, help us celebrate together, help us have fun together as we as we look forward to Wednesday with the concert and Thursday with the ladies. God, uh, would you fill this place because we're here, because we're your living temple, we're your, these living stones cut together and shaped to be the church of God. Would you, would you send your fire down on the altar of our hearts? In fact, let's pray for that, that God would, would reside. Maybe, maybe you haven't sensed that God resides in you. We sure want him to reside in you and in, in us as a church, but can we pray and ask him to come? Father, we say, let your fire come. Would you reside? And as we move into this summer, we don't want to be a church that's, that's dead, but alive by the fire of God, knowing that, that we are temples of the, we're the temple of the living God. Join together. Help us see that and help us live it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, um, please stand to your feet. We have, is it ready? Okay, it's ready or not, here they come. Uh, As you go out, grab a plate, grab a seat out there, and you're going to hear about DeSmet today, guys. Thank you.